it is a very good afternoon. It is Niall Boylan, which is, well, certainly for the next hour or so. And in case you think I'm hiding behind the microphone for the whole show, I am. Because that cold that I had, I've now got a really bad cold sore, which looks so obvious. And I discussed, see, I said to my wife, maybe I should put makeup on it. And I started looking online and they said, no, don't put makeup on it. It'll infect it even worse. So I have this big, obvious cold sore. Anyway, so it's not a piece of dirt in case you think it is. So if I if I kind of stay like this for most of the show, you probably won't see it. Don't forget, if you want to get involved in the show at any stage today, you can by texting or WhatsApping on 85 55 That's 85 55 What we're going to talk about today is the government, because the government are in a little bit of turmoil today. And according to the Irish Times, I'm going to read this directly from the Irish Times to give you some indication as to what we're talking about. And the heading says, Heated cabinet row breaks out over proposed new approach to accommodating refugees fleeing Ukraine. And the row was sparked by a presentation given by the Minister for Integration, Rodrigo Gorman, on a proposed new approach which would see Ukrainian refugees accommodated for only 90 days before being sent to the private sector. Now, I mentioned this about six months ago in the UK. They only accommodate them for six months. That's what they've been doing from the start. I think they've actually reduced that now under Richie Sunak's government. Um, so they only do six months. After that, you're kind of on your own. You're just like everybody else. If you're struggling, you have to go to social welfare. If you don't have a house, you have to go on the housing list, just like anybody else. But of course, at the moment, we do prioritise refugees. And a major row has now erupted in Cabinet on Tuesday over the state's refugee accommodation crisis. Sources familiar with the discussion amongst ministers characterised it as among the most divisive heated discussions that has ever taken place at government level since the coalition formed. Well, that's something, isn't it? And the row has now sparked by a presentation, as I said, by Roderick Gorman. There was no memo for the discussion in Cabinet, although it is understood the proposal has been discussed by the three leaders of the coalition parties at their weekly pre-Cabinet meeting for the last two weeks. There was a pushback from Tarnished and Michal Martin, who said that the proposals were tantamount to moving responsibility to the Department of Housing, which would have to provide housing for homeless services for those exiting state-provided accommodation after 90 days. So what essentially he's saying is, look, if we don't accommodate Ukrainians in for an indefinite period of time until the war ends, well, then they're going to have to go on the housing list, and then it's up to the Department of Housing to look after them. But then again, I suppose people would say, well, that's a fairer system, isn't it? Now, speaking to reporters in Dublin today, Mr. Martin described a phenomenon which people are coming to Ireland from other European states. In other words, they're not actually coming from the Ukraine. They're coming from Germany, they're coming from Poland, they're coming from France, they're coming from other countries because Ireland has more Ukrainian refugees per, per capita than any other country in Western Europe. And the reason for that is very obvious. We will accommodate them and we give them twice as much as our nearest our opponent when it comes to social welfare. We pay 200 quid. We've also seen legislation coming in recently over the last two weeks whereby there's new criteria. If you're Ukrainian and you decide to go home on holidays to a country where allegedly your life is in danger uh, and you kind of come back again three weeks later, you've lost your accommodation unless you get special permission. And that was only obvious. And people have been saying this for months, but the government weren't listening. That We were told that these was, oh, these are just stories. This is misinformation. This is untrue. But now the government admit that it is actually true. People are taking advantage of the system. So what do we do? 40% of Ukrainian refugees aged 18 to 24 were males, according to statistics, and yet we were told at the start it was women and children, and maybe some older people as well, of course, who wouldn't be able to fight in a war. But it seems now we were wrong. 40% of Ukrainian refugees aged 20, 18 to 24 are actually males, and they're not at home fighting for their country. And a document seen by Grip Media shows that not only that, 
Overall, 38.9% of all Ukrainian refugees aged between 18 and 24 in February were male. And Ireland has, as I said, the highest number. Now, the minister has said, or should I say Leo Varadkar has said, and Michal Martin, that we have an obligation to take in Ukrainian refugees, that we just can't stop at any stage. This is an obligation, we have no choice. This is incorrect, because as it was pointed out by barristers under an EU directive, member states shall receive persons who are eligible for temporary protection in the spirit of the community of solidarity. They shall indicate in figures or in general terms their capacity to receive such persons. This information shall be set out in the council decision referred to in Article 5. After that decision has been adopted, by the member states may indicate additional reception capacity by notifying the Council of Commission. This is information should be passed on swiftly to the UNHCR. So in other words, if we don't have the capacity, we can make an application to the EU and say we can't take any more. But Michal Martin denies that. So is this whole idea of moving them from one place to another, in other words, after 90 days, you're not kind of getting the accommodation we're giving you at the moment. Well, you'll move on to the housing list and we just give you the dole. Is it just a smokescreen by the government to satisfy those who believe they're being prioritised? Joining me on the line is Padder Tobin from AIN, leader of AIN2. Uh, Padder, good afternoon to you. Oh, sorry, I didn't hire you up there. Sorry, Padder, I do apologise. Padder, is this just sure. a is this just a smokescreen by the government to try to deflect? Essentially, it's the same thing. If you're saying they can't, you know, give them accommodation after ninety days, they're not going to chuck him out on the streets, are they? Well, first of all, I will say that obviously, you know, most Irish people probably are of the view that where a person is fleeing from war and violence, that we should try to do our best to make sure that we provide uh, some level of uh, um, shelter, but also that it needs to be sustainable and manageable. I think those two elements are probably still in the minds of most people. And the problem is when it becomes unsustainable and unmanageable, uh, the difficulty arises. Now, I, I don't think it's, I think you're right in terms of there has been a pull factor uh, in, in in relation to uh, people coming to Ireland uh, because Ireland has provided, I suppose, more attractive facilities and uh, income uh, to people coming to Ireland over the last two years than other European countries. And the Taunashta and the Taoiseach have admitted that that is the case. And I think what is happening to a certain extent is that, that reality, that common sense is starting to really bear down uh, on the, uh, the ministers in relation to this. And what they're trying to do, I think, is trying to equalise uh, the pull factor uh, in terms of other European countries. Now, I do think that the premise of your question is true. I think, you know, I was trying to kind of uh, work through what's likely to happen after 90 days if the government proceeds with this. And what's likely to happen after 90 days, I think, is that you'll have a chunk of those uh, asylum seekers uh, and Ukrainians who will go into the, will try to go into the private accommodation, will find that there's very little if any, available to them. And then many of those will become part of the emergency accommodation situation. So what will happen really is just the responsibility to accommodate them will shift from Roger O'Gorman's department to Dara O'Brien's apartment. I also think that, in fairness, what is likely to happen is some of the people who are here in, uh, 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 from Ukraine will either go home to Ukraine or will actually go to other European countries because the pull... Um, effect won't just be as, as, as strong. I think the government are going to have to look at the social welfare uh, provision there too. Uh, we would suggest that we need to equalise with the European average in terms of... What European average is somewhere between 70 and 100 euro. That's so the European sure average. To make sure that we're not we're not providing that, that, that extra pull factor. I think, you know, uh, if, if we do provide too... Like, if the, the pull factor has been too strong, which means, obviously, then uh, we are there 
or proportionately, um, you know, I, I spoke, Pader, I spoke more people uh, I, as I, such. So I spoke to an Afghanistan man on the air the other night uh, on the radio, and he told me he had been in seven countries before he came to Ireland. And um, he, in every country that he was in, he ended up homeless. The last one he was in was in France, and he was homeless on the streets of Paris. And he said when he came to Ireland, he said he was kind of greeted with a few quid. And he was eventually, after a short period of time, he's now in a one-bedroom uh, flat in Ratgar. Now, realistically, there, there's no choice there. I mean, if you're coming to Ireland, and, they, and I'm assuming he will tell friends of his, listen, you know, come to Ireland. It's a better, you know, there's a better option here. They'll kind of look after you. And by the way, I'm not having a go at him. He says now, hopefully, he can get a job, blah 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 blah, which is great, and he may become part of the economy in the future. That's fine. He seemed like a nice guy, right? But the point is, that shouldn't be the case. He should have been accommodated in the first country he went to, um, or if he can't be accommodated in the first country he went to, maybe the second country, or they can send him back to the first country according to the Dublin, um, uh, the, the convention. So. I mean, realistically, we're a soft touch. They People refer to Ireland as the land of milk and honey. Yeah, so we need to have put in a parliamentary question uh, to the Minister for Justice to find out how many uh, people who have come to Ireland, either on the asylum process or uh, through uh, the Ukrainian process, have actually been residents in, in other countries. So we're, we're actually trying to, to really kind of dig down into those figures. And the other element I would say is, yes, Ireland does have international obligations, but we've also got domestic obligations too. And, you know, it is very, very clear that the government are not fulfilling their domestic obligations in terms of uh, housing uh, people here in Ireland. We've always been of the view that nobody should actually have a head start on anybody else. If you give a certain section of people who are coming into the country, you know, an advantage or, you know, uh, a, a, a faster track to accommodation than people who are homeless uh, in Ireland, what you're going to do is actually going to destroy social cohesion. You're going to divide people. You're going to make people very, very angry. And that's going to do more damage to the project uh, in, in, in the long run. So there's no doubt in my mind that the government have to put people on an equal footing. So if a person is 10 years on a housing waiting list and another person is a year on a housing waiting list, obviously the person who's 10 years on a housing waiting list needs to be prioritised uh, in relation uh, to that. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, the idea of common sense is dripping slowly onto this government. This government has resisted common sense. You know, for well, you, why, for, why are for they doing that? I, years. I can't figure this one out. When you've got a poll, a Red Sea poll, and the government likes to go by Red Sea polls when it suits them, but when it doesn't suit them, they tend to ignore them. So when you've got a Red Sea poll that says 76% of the population of Ireland believe we're letting in too many people, why do you believe the government are ignoring that and continuing to do it? And then we also have to look at the figures when we talk about Ukrainian refugees. So there's 100,000 or just a little over 100,000, and that increases by about 1,000 every two weeks. Um, at the moment, that figure goes up and down constantly all the time. And I have heard uh, some of them are anecdotal stories, but others are factual stories where Ukrainian refugees are not actually Ukrainian at all. They're people who claim they came from Ukraine. They may have been studying there, inverted commas, for a little while, and they have no identification or passports and claim they're Ukrainian, yet they're treated like Ukrainian. They go down as numbers for Ukrainian. And when we see also the figures by Grip Media that show that 46%, I think that was the figure I read out a minute ago, are you know male aged between 18 and 24, I mean, that sets off an alarm bell as well if they're meant to be Ukrainian yeah. refugees because I thought they were meant to stay at home and fight the war. So first of all, the, the, one of the interesting points in this is we have certain political parties who are ideologically uh, in favour of increasing the amount of migration in, into this country. That's their, that's their political position. And I put the Greens uh, firmly into that space. 
And the reason, you know, that you know, Ireland already has laws around migration, but even the Greens haven't enforced those laws. So, you know, we in England have raised the fact that many people are coming into the country from other European countries without travel documents, which is obviously uh, wrong. We've also raised the point that, you know, about 5,000 people have gone through the asylum process, have been refused asylum, have and been still here. given deportation orders, but are still not being deported, who are still in Ireland. So the governments have so far to date refused to even implement the law as it stands. Secondly, outside of individual parties having that ideological uh, uh, persuasion, there's also, you know, political parties to a certain extent in Ireland operate within the media political bubble quite a lot. Uh, and because the media political bubble has a different view to the, the, to the majority of Irish people on this, um, politicians find themselves trying to satisfy journalists uh, and radio show hosts uh, and TV uh, political show hosts and they find themselves orientating their, their political discussion in relation to that. And anybody who steps outside of that particular bubble is often castigated in the worst terms as being you know, anti-migrant, uh, anti-immigration, etc. I'm victim of that on a regular basis. And, and yeah. I'm not, by the way, I completely understand that we have a situation in Ireland where the population is depleting. If we didn't have migration, the population would deplete because we're not having as big a family anymore. And certainly we have to keep the population up because it's important for the economy. I'm all for that. I understand that. But when you've got a lot of people who are unskilled uh, coming into the country with probably very little chance of getting a job that's going to earn them more than, say, 30,000 a year, then you're constantly going to have to keep providing welfare payments and accommodation all the time for the rest of their lives, and they're not really going to contribute to the pension pot. The problem I have with the, the media political bubble on this is that there's no space for nuance whatsoever. So, you know, most Irish people, I think, you know, realise that when they go into the hospitals, they're going to the nursing homes, etc., that there are migrants working in Absolutely. those locations, and that they're doing a good job, and they're adding to, to the economy. And most people still want to help people in real need that actually have bombs landing on their towns and villages. But most people are of the view now at this stage that we have a system that is not being implemented even as it is. And that system is also creating a significant pull factor, uh, which is creating you know, enormous pressures on the capacity that we have. And there has to be give in relation to that. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, outside of, of brave broadcasters uh, such as yourselves and, and you know, uh, political organisations such as ourselves, few of the other political class are happy to discuss uh, uh, those elements. What's happening is that the, the media and the political bubble are castigating yourselves either anti-migration uh, uh, or pro-migration, when actually, in fact, most of the population, uh, you know, occupy a nuanced space uh, in the middle uh, in relation to that. They want common sense and they want justice on it. And they want to make sure as well that people in Ireland who are significantly in, in trouble in terms of, of, of housing uh, are actually looked after first and foremost. So, you know, I, I do think as well... Just I mean, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ridiculousness going on, uh, Padre, and mind you, the government did address some of this last week as well. And, and people have been saying this for the last year, but anybody who stepped up and even said anything about this was called a right-wing racist. So I'm assuming the government are all right-wing racists now because they're actually agreeing with the people to some extent. I mean, they changed the criteria for Ukrainian refugees where they couldn't go home because the stories were there of people going home on holidays to Ukraine and then coming back to Ireland and their accommodation was still there for them and not given to somebody else. I mean, and anybody who even suggested that six months ago, you're clearly a racist. Now the government have implemented that as part of the criteria, the Department of Integration has implemented that as part of the criteria. People had said as well, similar to the UK, we should only be supporting people for a certain period of time because this war 
It could be. It could go on indefinitely. We don't know how long it's going to go on for. We don't know if people are going to want to go home uh, to wherever they they happen to come from in Ukraine, or they could stay here. So, from that point of view, you know, we have to set out a system whereby you know a certain period of time, look, we'll help you as much as we can. But after that point, you're kind of on your own. You either get a job or you go on social welfare or go on a housing list, just like anybody else, because that has to be the way so, it is. So, don't underestimate the level of group think that happens in this country and herd mentality in this country. And uh, that, you know, there's, a, there's a, an endless amount of, of that in the political bubble. I was on a radio show uh, with Fine Gael uh, Minister at one stage. And, you know, I said, we need to help those who really need help. But those mm-hmm. uh, who are not real asylum seekers, uh, you know, they need to be brought back to, to their home countries. And the Fine Gael Minister costed me and said, what do you mean not a, a real <laughs> asylum seekers? And I said, well, obviously, you have a process that differentiates between you know, asylum seekers and those who are not real asylum seekers. It costs hundreds of millions of euros. Are you telling me that you're having a, a differentiation process and yet everybody's actually a real asylum seeker? Why would you spend hundreds of millions of euros differentiating when everybody is, as you say, a, a real asylum yeah. seeker? So, you know, the government have been completely lost in that groupthink, that, that herd mentality. And one of the reasons why that exists, I believe, in this country is because most of our media are actually located in exactly the same space on the political spectrum. So in other countries, you have left, right, you have liberal, conservative, you have people in the centre, in media, and, you know, you have this kind of con- continuous challenging... Well, we, have a, we, we do have a serious society. problem in this country. We, we do have a serious problem in this country. We have RTE, we have, we have new, RTE News Talk... They all lean to the left. They're all quite liberal in their thinking. I mean, apart from the fact when George Hook disappeared off the radio and Ivan Yates uh, off News Talk. I mean, look at News Talk now. I mean, it's all to the left. It seems to be all certainly to the left anyway. And the same goes for RTE. They do not challenge the government when it comes to these issues. It's almost like they're afraid to. Whereas in the UK, as you rightly said, you've got Talk TV, you've got GB News, uh, you know, you've got Sky News, who are obviously on the left, the others on the right. So you've got a bit of everything, a bit of balance for everybody and a choice for everyone to listen to different types of opinions. Over here, we're just all on one side. And if anybody dare steps up and says anything different, you're cancelled. Yeah, and we need, we need to change that. In a, in a functioning liberal democracy, you have a competition of ideas. And for a competition of ideas to exist, you need people to be able to respectfully engage their views uh, on platforms. And that's simply not happening in Ireland. And until that, if, if that doesn't happen, the danger then is that 75% of the population who feel that they're not represented either politically or on the media, for example, their frustration grows. And then you have, you know, extremist organizations, the ne'er-do-wells, the real hard right, uh, for example, who will come in and they'll harvest that, 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 that annoyance for their own very, very negative uh, uh, mm-hmm. political uh, uh, views. And that's the danger. So the truth of the matter is that equal competition of ideas is actually like a... a Lifts, lifts the lid off the pressure cooker. It allows for that pressure to dissipate because people have their say and they see change happening on that basis. And that's one of the reasons why AIM2 exists. AIM2 has been of the view that, that we need to change the political system. We need to challenge that political system. And I will say that I believe very solidly at this stage that we have built a really well-organized uh, challenge to the political establishment right across the country. You know, at, at the start of the conversation, we are talking about the crisis in, in cabinets. This crisis, I'm not sure how manufactured or real it is, but there's a significant chance that it is real at the moment. I know that the three parties are getting a little bit uncomfortable with each other, uh, and while they probably plan to go the full length of this government, 
I would say that there's this, there is a chance now, bigger chance today than there was, let's say yesterday, that there actually could be a fissure crack uh, in this government and you could have an election um, in, in the near future. From our own perspective, if you actually want to see real change, if you want to actually crowbar that kind of competition of ideas back into the political uh, spectrum, you know, people need to get off the fence. They need to get politically active. They need to get involved in organizations such as Aim2 into the future. Patter, it's been wonderful talking to you once again. A man is a rock of sense. Thank you very much indeed, Patter Tobin, for joining us today. Thanks. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms. <laughs>